Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. It's really the intel. That's it. Quite frankly, I didn't even want to use you guys. With your dip and your Velcro and all your gear bullshit, I wanted to drop a bomb. But people didn't believe in this lead enough to drop a bomb. So they're using you guys as canaries in the theory that if Bin Laden isn't there... You can sneak away and no one will be the wiser. But Bin Laden is there. And you're going to kill him for me. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Okay, we're recording for hashtag CC. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I'm joined as always by my friend Julio. Julio, it's um, not particularly fitting. You brought a six pack of beer. You should have brought several pots of coffee to get this through this <laughs> evening. Well, I thought that we were in for a celebratory evening. I thought that we were going to relive one of America's greatest triumphs. <laughs> and, and instead it was just kind of like a, like a bad history lesson when you get those teachers that really don't know how to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. And I know that when a lie, you heard me. So, uh, I'm just going to say that I did not enjoy this movie and we'll, we'll explain why as we go along. Yeah. I mean, much like a year of history that fucking sucks, it feels like you wasted a year <laughs> of your life watching this movie. But, uh, we're here to continue our uh, journey through the path of female filmmaking as we're here with Zero Dark Thirty, the Catherine Bigelow-directed film. Um, we do once more have a, a female guest with us here. We Again, the contrarians do know some females. And uh, Julio, this was your, your get, so I'd be more comfortable with you introducing. <laughs> Just, well, you know, Kinsey's a relatively new addition to the... To the contrarian's family, the circle, of the, the circle of friends. Unlike Ashley, who we had a couple episodes ago, who Ashley's has, um, more of a distant acquaintance, the grizzled vet the, of the of the group. Because she's uh, old. Yes, uh, but but Kinsey is a complete opposite. She's young, full of energy. She didn't know what she was getting into, and now she can't get out of it because she has the microphone in front of her. But uh, Kinsey, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I, to be a part of this circle of friends now. And <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, 
Well, we didn't get much details about like where we know Ashley from, so I don't think we should also keep it vague about Kinsey. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, oh, Jesus Christ. All right, so we're Zero Dark Thirty, Nine Eleven, Bin Laden. Uh, You're starting to sound a little uh, uh, not very patriotic. Not Alex. very USA. Fucking three hours of my life. Again. <laughs> again. So now six hours of my life that I'll never get back. Uh, you know, a lot of people disagree with that take, uh, with that that attitude you have towards this movie. Apparently 92% of the people. Yes. Uh, starting with Kath Clark from Time Out, who says, simply, this is an instant classic. Candace Frederick from Real Talk Online says... It is Chastain's performance, as restrained as it is powerful, that may just be the cherry atop this massive and meticulous film. Wow. Jason Bailey from Flavorwire says, A great American film. Complicated, nuanced, searching, piercing, difficult, and yet thrilling and satisfying all the same. Jay Stone from Canada.com. I don't think a Canadian should be allowed to review this no. movie that is such so American for better or for worse. Their milk uh, comes in bags. <laughs> and their wine comes in boxes. Yes. Apparently only Americans can judge this movie. Yeah, that's how it should be. You don't see like me You don't see me <laughs> reviewing a Canadian movie. We haven't done a Canadian movie in this show a yet. A Canadian movie about their Canadian terrorists? Yeah. What was whatever their big What's the worst victory? thing that's ever happened to Canada? <laughs> Uh, Michael Myers or Mike Myers? Excuse me. <laughs> uh, is he? He's Canadian. Yeah, I can't tell because he uses so many accents. I just don't know when he's being. Or Justin truthful. Bieber. Justin Bieber's Canadian. He's Canadian. Mm -hmm. he's okay. Canadian. Well, I, I've said I, I I've talked plenty of shit about Justin Bieber, so I guess <laughs> this guy can praise Zero Dark Thirty, and that's okay. Uh, Jay Stone from Canada.com says Bigelow pulls us into the twilight world of terrorism betrayal and the sudden shock of violence and it's a tribute to her art that we're on the edge of our seats even though we know how it all turns out you were totally on the edge of your seat i saw you alex mm -hmm. uh carla meyer from sacramento b says zero dark 30 shows guts in taking on loaded subject matter and filmmaking confidence and skill in not telling us how we should feel about it mark Fennell from triple j says a film on, of infectious urgency questionable accuracy murky morality and undeniable emotional and intellectual power i like how he like kind of slid in the questionable accuracy part in between all the praise uh and then finally uh jim skembry from 3aw says a ripping revenge yarn what does that mean i think he watched kill bill we were making kill bill jokes earlier and <laughs> that sounds more like a kill bill review uh but that is just a small sample of the 92% uh, critics that just fucking love this movie. Yeah. I mean, it starts with 9-11 and then it ends with America winning. So how can you not like it? I don't know that it starts with 9-11. It's like a black screen with 9-11 audio, which is kind of like the cheap way of depicting 9-11. Yeah. There's, that I can think of, there's only two other 9-11 movies. Uh, the Oliver Stone uh, World Trade Center. Okay. Which at least shows like the shadow of the plane flying over people. Okay, now choose your next words wisely because there's only one other applicable answer to this. Okay, if we're not thinking of United ninety three, uh, no, we're thinking of Remember Me with Robert Pattinson. <laughs> oh, I was about to say it. If one of you didn't say it, I, I plot okay. twist ending, right? All right, I take it back. Three movies I he can think of: the fucking Golden Eyes Office, and he's not there, <laughs> and then the plane hits the World Trade Center. Okay, well. 
I it still applies to my point. All those three those three movies I think depict nine eleven in a more uh I would say powerful way than just the black screen and, and sound. Uh especially because then it transitions to like what is it? Is there even like a thing that's a six months later or something? And two years later. And two years later two and years then we have later. a we're in a uh secret yeah. CIA location. It's it's basically Jason Clark making America great again. <laughs> making yeah, he's uh, he's still young in the grunge phase of his life because his hair is unkempt and he's got a tattered black t-shirt on and some jeans and he's just basically there to fuck shit up. He's my notes are pretty minimal on this movie because it just it's it makes so much out of so little. Like Jason Clark's name. What was his name in the movie? I I, I couldn't tell you. Dan. I have three characters here. I have Maya, which is Jessica Chastain, Dan, which is Jason Clark, and then Jessica, who is Jennifer Ailey. Uh, who I knew from Contagion, and that that was the most enjoyable part of the movie. Really, was me trying to figure out where I knew her from, and when I figured out Contagion, thinking back to Contagion because that's a good movie. <laughs> well, I had a similar experience, but it was with Kyle Chandler. To me, he mm-hmm. was the. Uh, I mean, my note says, "Why do we keep wasting Kyle Chandler's time?" <laughs> you know, we cast him in a movie, we stick him behind a desk. And that's have, it. yeah, that's it. And then we just don't even give him like he an doesn't exit even line. get a final line. <laughs> exactly. Yes. He just walks off. He's disappointed, and he he was disappointed in the film. And that's why he just walked <laughs> off. So I mean, this is a bit different than every other movie we've done in that we've never had a plot that's this simplistic in a movie that's this fucking long. Uh, it really feels like like Catherine Bigelow did her research and she's like, I'm putting all this in, damn it. And, and she liked she all did, of it. She didn't want to cut anything. I know. She's like, she had her notes. It was pages and pages. And she's like, we'll just have somebody say this. Because that's really what most of the movie is. It's like blue is the warmest color. It's like there's nothing that's not <laughs> cut from it. <laughs> I think that's like the fourth or fifth episode in a row where I managed <laughs> to reference Blue is the Warmest Color. Okay, so yeah, we start off with Jason Clark. Um, he's basically torturing people, trying to get details on Bin Laden. There's a lot of waterboarding. I mean, these are, um, unfortunately, depending on who you speak to, some agreed upon facts at the time and basically what was done during this process to try to get this information. Had you ever seen waterboarding before, before I've, this movie? Yeah, I've seen The Expendables. Oh, well, see, I didn't make it that far, I think, on the first one. Okay. But I always thought waterboarding was like they were tied to a chair and you just, like, threw buckets of water at them. What that, would that do? That's a, flash dancing. <laughs> I mean, that can be unpleasant if you're not into it, I would imagine. And uh, there's what is, why is it called waterboarding when it's more like, I mean, I don't know, water toweling? They put a towel over his face and then they drip water on it. I'm familiar. And... and uh, do you not play Grand Theft Auto Five? You have to waterboard a character in that game. No, but that sounds awesome. Oh yeah, that's America. yeah. I mean, say what you will about the movie and its uh, iffy stance on torture, but Jason Clark makes it look good at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's intense. Yeah, and it's to the to the detriment of Jessica Chastain though, because the whole point of all those sequences was is to show her in the background being queasy about the whole thing. She was she was like the light side of the dark and trying to show like, oh, I'm Je- Jessica Chastain and this isn't right. I we just need the right information. And she's such a lady. Like when that dude shits himself, she's just like, oh, she no. looks away. Yeah, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Plugs her nose. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, the, there was a. It goes on forever, 
like you know most of the sequences in this movie but like this movie uh but but it establishes where it's going very early on which is jessica just saying it's a woman and uh and that makes her an outsider here Mm -hmm. but it also what makes it disappointing to me is that this is directed by a woman and not just any woman the same woman who directed point break Yes, and even like the, the year I think the movie before this was uh, uh, Hurt Locker, Hurt Locker, right? Which right, kind of I like that's like oh you know badass Jeremy Renner and his team of people disabling minds and all that stuff. So then you think oh Jessica Chastain is gonna be the same in this movie. This is Jessica Chastain's Hurt Locker where she's gonna be like getting her hands dirty and like, whatever. But no, she spends most of the movie on the sidelines, just kind of like watching people do the job for her. Because despite the fact that the movie is about killing Bin Laden, the narrative is that. No one respects women, <laughs> right? But but the problem no is one the, would listen to her, right? But the problem is that the movie almost makes it a, a case that well they shouldn't because you know it's like why would you when all she's doing is just being around? Like I can understand Jason Clark has his hands he he gets his hands he's dirty. He's getting the real information out, right? He's like he's when he's done he has to go play with his monkeys because he's just he just can't take it. But Jessica Chastain is just kind of like chilling, watching everything happen. Mm-hmm. So the nerve for her to then suggest a different course of action. It was like, well, how you didn't earn this. Mm-hmm. And what this eventually leads to is it establishes the crux of this film, which is we're on this massive manhunt for Bin Laden. And what is Kyle Chandler's position? I, I, I think he's just the boss. Right. I, I mean, like he has every time we saw another boss, there was a boss for the boss. <laughs> right. Until we finally got to the most bosses we could possibly get to. The final boss, appropriately enough, has been Latin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, and then like the the side character is Mark Duplass. <laughs> um, so we're weaving in and out of all these legitimate historical uh, events, and again, not to question any of the historical accuracy of the film, but uh, situations like the London. Uh, Bus bombings, um, the so- Saudi like shooting that mm-hmm. happened in the hotel, the Camp Chapman incident, the suicide bombing there, and so we're going in and out of this, and along the way, it's a lot of Jessica Chastain continuing her narrative that we got to get to the the main thing is we got to get to Bin Laden, and she maintains at some point halfway through the film where uh, Kyle Chandler tries to take her off the case, and she says, you know, we got to get rid of him because then this will solve everything type. Yeah, it's uh, it's also at some point the first time that Jessica Chastain wears a wig, that's when I realized we're watching the most boring episode of Alias ever, because she really she goes and she sits in front of potential terrorists or arrested terrorists and she's wearing a wig or some sort of disguise. She uses Jason Clark's lines. Yeah, yeah. Right from his mouth. <laughs> she's recycling uh, Jason Clark's strategy. Uh, only she doesn't look as grizzled, as mean as Jason Clark. She doesn't really sell it. She has to get some guy to punch the guy that she's interrogating instead the of the guy's job is to punch the guy. Yeah, this all accounts for the first seven acts of the film, in which <laughs> uh, she um, Abu, who's meant to like basically, he has to be the hand of God for Bin Laden, and that's basically the entire first half of the film is her conquest to find this mysterious. This mystery person, right? While trying to, to yeah. while trying to convince everybody to to really do that, mm-hmm. you know, she's the like the whole time she's convincing Abu Ahmed is the guy. Yeah, everybody's she, like maybe she he's the guy, but she's like no, literally. But she's really going on a hunt. She really doesn't know any better than anybody else. No. I think another thing that this movie makes clear is that Never she kind of a mother's intuition. 
<laughs> I think it 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 almost looks like it feels like she lucked out because the movie <laughs> oh. uh, really because the movie you don't know the movie makes it clear that uh, you can't trust any of the information out there. Uh, which is kind of why I I feel the pain of the people that are supposed to authorize these these military excursions and whatever because they're like, can we have some facts mm-hmm. instead of just acting on somebody's hunch? And the movie never really gives her uh, a, a really like serious chain of logical thoughts right. that say, okay, this is definitely what's happening. It's just like she has this pet theory and she decides to stick with it and it happens to pan out. Mm-hmm. But during those seven years or whatever, how many other theories were being pursued by other right. people? And so if if a different theory had been panned out, there wouldn't be a movie about Jessica Chastain. <laughs> so, Her argument was, hey, you don't have any other options, so my way or the highway. Right. And then, But then she could also say... Oh, and you're not listening to mine because I'm a woman. When really it's like, <laughs> no, we're not listening to you because you don't have the facts to to really support this. Not any more than all the other avenues that we're pursuing. Even in the end, it's still just we're going off her hunch. Right. It's like she says that it's Bin Laden, mm-hmm. but it's, I wouldn't know. No. Nobody would know. When was the last time somebody saw Bin Laden? So he could have gone all face off and yeah. swapped faces with somebody else. Like the person who wrote the Bible, they just lucked out big time. <laughs> <laughs> The one person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, eventually, Jason Clark has had enough. He's lived a life of torture and mischief, and he basically, I, he sells out. He says he wants an office job. He's tired of this grunge life. In the middle of looking for Bin Laden, when they have leads, and they're like, hey, can you interrogate this guy? It might be actually really important. No, I think I'm going to go back to D.C. and well, have a family. They killed his monkeys. They did kill his monkeys. That was the last straw. It, it really was. You could tell he was a changed man. But, yeah, he basically, he wants he needs to retire the T-shirt and jeans and put on a suit. And <laughs> literally, the next scene we see him, and he has his fucking hair slicked back. He's shaved? Yeah, exactly. He looks like fucking Jonah Hill in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> He's outside enjoying his lunch. He still has the smoking habit, which he hasn't kicked, though. But, you know, that's that's part of American culture, right? there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jessica Chastain is solo. She's spending more time with Jessica, uh, Jennifer, uh, Ellie, and they are at the Marriott in Islamabad when that's bombed. Shameless uh, Marriott promotion. Yeah. <laughs> they get its own title card. And, every and then big... fucking the news anchor, the Marriott, <laughs> one of the most frequented establishments <laughs> in all of Islamabad. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's a visual Yelp review. <laughs> But then it was bombed. <laughs> well, that's, that, that is a Yelp review. Liked it. Didn't like the bombing so much. Chicken was dynamite. <laughs> uh, so eventually, like we had mentioned a bit earlier, Jessica and Maya set up basically who they think to be the key to everything. The fucking Oracle. The there is no spoon kid, whatever cliche you want to use. That the could... best leads and they've had. Yeah. And forever. And what could possibly go wrong? And uh, Kinsey, you pointed out brilliantly just how fucking telegraphed everything in this movie is it it felt at one point how predictable it was that what it, it like super cliche and they, they just had no shame whatsoever and being like yeah something's about to happen and we're not gonna hide it. it it's almost like because they knew that i guess most of america knows how it all ends then why bother with the suspense right. it's, it, it's not subtle at all 
Right. It's we've been with Jessica Chastain for a good while. Jennifer Ellie has been in the background, but suddenly she gets like a ten minute sequence mm-hmm. out of nowhere. So it takes you, a while to set up, and you're just like, okay, okay, we know it's gonna happen. The only thing that was missing was her like pulling her wallet out and looking at a picture of her kids and her husband, and then you knew that she was done for sure. Or a storm cloud, and her just turning to the <laughs> foreground. A storm is coming. <laughs> but yeah, so the one source. Uh, Rides up literally through the dust like a fucking, you know, Western, like on a noble. Let him in. He doesn't need to be checked. Let him in. Yeah. Tells the security to stand down. He gets out. And I mean, what happens? What the movie. A log barb. (laughs) (laughs) What the movie tell you. This is what happens when you listen to women. I don't think that it's that was the intention, but this is really what it comes across. Everybody else there is a guy except for a reporter that. It's just there. I mean, has no say in the protocol. But everybody else there that's a guy is saying, this is a bad idea. We have security protocols for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of throws a fit. And Going off it, a hunch again. Right. Like how women do with their intuition. Not just that. She's texting through this whole thing. She's texting with uh, with Jessica Chastain. <laughs> and they're having like emojis and like question marks. And it's just Is like, he there yet? Yeah, BRB. Yeah, I was like, can you, when you can. can you imagine, compare this texting scene with uh, uh, DiCaprio texting, who was it, Alec Baldwin in The Departed, oh where he's God. like, at least has the decency to text from his pocket. He doesn't have like the phone out and doing the texting. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I don't think. He's actually, he's texting Martin Sheen and Martin Sheen relaying it. Well. Alec Baldwin's in charge of the sting. Well, you know what? I'm glad that you've seen The Departed more recently than I have because that movie is texting Matt Damon's girlfriend (laughs) on the open. Vera Farmiga. Let's just talk about that. That's a good movie. That 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 is is a good movie. I mean, I have my issues with The Departed. What do you mean you have your issues with The Departed? That'd still be aired in in a future episode. I'm sure that's like in the (laughs) high 90s too. Deservedly so. Whatever the case, uh, suicide bomb. Uh, The Camp Chapman attack, the incident there, um, which... I was vaguely familiar with and actually spent this part of the movie reading up on because it was <laughs> more interesting than what was going on on my television. Oh, wow. um, but, uh, so... So now it's personal. Yeah. 9-11 didn't make it personal enough, but now that her her no, friend it's is... It's just like I was saying earlier, and, you know, it's it's difficult to broach these subjects. And, again, in the instance that you're listening to this for the first time, understand that this in no way is reflecting our political views, but more or less the narrative and the delivery of this film. Um, um, but but I did think at this point, I think it was at this point uh, when I was thinking, so you don't show 9-11, right? And I understand there's justification for that because it's just so horrible. But you have no problem showing like the other three or four bombings and massive shootings and whatever that we see happen in the movie. So where exactly are you drawing the line? Are you just going by casualty? It was so personal. It's so personal. <laughs> right. So, so where do you draw the line as far as like casualty? It was like I think that the movie didn't wasn't clear on how far it wanted to go as far as depiction mm-hmm. uh, of horrible things happening because it's pretty horrible to see a guy getting waterboarded. But they don't. But they're like, oh, that's fine. We'll give you a close up of that. He's, he's not American, right? Uh, show the water for water. shame. How dare you be non-American? <laughs> uh, okay. Jason Clark sold out. We already touched on that. Oh, I think I think at this point of the movie is when Mark Strong has glorious toupee mm-hmm. come into play. So he was that... not happy. Mark <laughs> Strong with hair was not happy. <laughs> Yeah, so basically he comes in after Kyle Chandler gets the boot, right? No, I think it's before, but he comes in just to light a fire under their ass, I think. And he hasn't slept in days. His hair is unkempt. 
slightly askew. Now, is this before or after the pointless scene where we see uh, Jason Clark go to Kuwait to bribe someone for death? He go. He goes. Give this Arab a Lambo. <laughs> Arabs love Lambos. He had seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and he's like, <laughs> "Forget about the jewels. They want a sweet ride." Uh, this also depicts Kuwait as the party city. Everywhere else that we see in the Middle East is just desert and misery. But when he goes to Kuwait, it's just like the music is happening. For Abu Dhabi, as was outlined in Sex in the City too. <laughs> well, well, I was talking about this movie, not okay. not. Not movies in general. Yeah, I agree that Sex and City 2 does probably, uh, it has a better portrayal of the Middle East in general. Does it deserve a 92%? Sex and the City 2? <laughs> Sex and the City deserves like a series of episodes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's a discussion. I'm, I'm not equipped for that at this point in time. Uh, so, yeah, Jason Clark, what does that tie into, just from my understanding? Because he basically meets with uh, uh, Sheik and Buys him a Lambo, and then basically says, you know, someone's going to die, and then he says, okay, there'll be basically no counteraction because of it. Right. I think what he gets from him is a phone number. I'm not right. Right. Abu Ahmed's mom's phone number. Right. And then they're like, okay, so we're going to track whenever this guy calls his mom. Hey, mom, I'm a terrorist. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't died yet. (laughs) Things are good. All right, got to go. A log bar. Stay away from London today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, they have begun tapping the phone, and basically they've mapped out where um, uh, Abu's family is in Kuwait. And the problem is they can't find any consistency to the tracking, anything like that. Kuwait or was it Peshwar? Because they kept talking about Peshwar... Yeah, there, I think they go like the little subtitle. They go to Kuwait to buy the Lambo. That's so right. the Lambo was the information all. This have, is like, you should I feel pretty proud. My notes, bunch of talking. So I might have There was quite a bit of talking. If you believe the movie, obviously all this information was filtered and interpreted and figured out by a bunch of people. And here we are just three regular citizens trying to untangle the web of how to track uh, some of Bin Laden's career. So I think we're doing pretty okay. <laughs> They do nail down that he drives a white SUV, which is very uncharacteristic for the territory that he lives in. I do remember that. That's a rookie mistake from the terrorist side. You would think you would be more uh, camo when I get in there. and <laughs> At least give him like a brown, I don't know. The thought process, <laughs> OJ Simpson drove a white Bronco, that's good enough for me. <laughs> he got away. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is also where uh, uh, Roberto Duran makes his appearance in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's that's his role in the movie. He comes in to track that that phone, and then once that pays out, he's gone. Yeah, he almost gets killed going to the city. Jessica Chastain kind of uses whoever she wants to get what she wants in the movie. She she totally she can't do everything herself. Obviously, so that that's her mo. She gets more. an idea of what she wants to happen, and then she finds somebody that she can pressure into making it happen, and she just kind of whines and complains until it gets done. And the underwriting current of the film, which is I do not disagree with at all, is that women are smarter than men, and <laughs> that she basically figures out a way to I wouldn't want to say manipulate, but gets what she wants, even if it is just by buying that guy a beer. And she she figures out how to get what she needs. Uh, at the end of the movie, she gets the credit. She's the movie is the when you about her? right when you think of Zero Dark Thirty, you don't think of uh, Roberto Duran or uh, Osama or even Gandolfini. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking, oh yeah, that Jessica Chastain movie where she saved the world, where she eradicated terrorism world. forever. Everything was fine afterwards. 
so because of uh, they're in Pakistan, correct, is where she's positioned. Right. Yeah. And she tries to leave her home one day, and their car's all shut up with unsubtle again. Mm-hmm. Oh we yeah. You see the guy. He slowly opens the uh, gate so she can leave, and we don't see her get in her car any other time in this movie. Right. This one point and you're like oh god here we go we've never seen her do anything ordinary other than you know she's always been very intense doing stuff and then there's the one time where we see her just have breakfast After and say she hi says, to the guy i don't go out it's too dangerous <laughs> and then there's the establishing shot of the ominous car waiting outside of the, the property line with two two guys and it looked pretty suspicious and then the guard that opens the, the door he's like i have a bad feeling about this <laughs> So we get back stateside, and that's where we get our epic cameo from Mark Duplass. <laughs> yes. Very nice. My note is just, what the fuck is Mark Duplass doing here? What's his name in the movie? Mark Duplass. Again, the only three names I was able to establish <laughs> Maya, Dan, and Jessica, and Osama. I, I, the, the, the best I could come up with is that Mark Duplass is there to provide some sort of contrast to all the other alpha males in there. Because you have Mark Strong, you have Gandolfini who comes in like in the next scene. And they're all just kind of like, there's a lot of dick swinging. Mm-hmm. But Mark Duplass is very, he's not, he's even nice kind of to Jessica Chastain. And we save the sex appeal for the 17th act of the film when Chris <laughs> Pratt and uh, Joel Edgerton come in. So. Oh yeah, that's, well they have their own mini movie at the end of the movie, basically. Yes. It's a completely, it feels like a completely different movie as soon as they show up on camera it's like a fucking 30 minute short film <laughs> yes it's like the opening of drive it feels like disconnect anyway um so they find the home which they believe to belong to osama bin laden and they're basically tracking it um the fun part about this is we get to see exactly how long they're tracking it for <laughs> because jessica chastain has a helpful little way of reminding us every day yeah, but it's also, it doesn't do her character any favors that basically that's all we see her do for about 15 minutes of the movie. Like fucking 150 days or whatever it is, all it shows her doing her job is just update the little board. Right. She's so just, what else is she doing every day? She's like official nagger. And then everybody else is sweating over their desks. You Nothing see... will get done unless she's <laughs> over them watching. Right. Them. She got cast as a nagging wife in the government. But in uh, the meantime, you keep intercutting with Mark Strong trying to actually convince people. Mm-hmm. What is Jessica Chastain doing other than saying, I'm right and I know I'm right? And James Gandolfini, like y'all had said, he takes the, the hairpiece to a new level. <laughs> he comes in and says, all right, you guys think this is something? Return of the Jedi, bitch. And he takes it up a notch. I had this theory that uh, all the facial hair that Jason Clark lost when he settled in, that went into the construction of the two pairs for Mark Strong and, <laughs> and James Gandolfini. The best part is Gandolfini, he's still talking like Tony Soprano, but he's supposed <laughs> to be like this high-ranking official. It's like a mobster just climbed the ranks. And it, everyone's too terrified <laughs> to like say anything otherwise. They're like, well, shit's Except getting for done. Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. She's the only one that feels positive about her emotion. She goes, "I'm the motherfucker that found this place." Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, what happens is this, this shit finally gets clearance, and Jessica Chastain has the holy shit America moment of basically the fourth uh, forthcomingness of saying she just wanted to bomb it, but they had to basically assign like a. a a special squadron to the case. She didn't want to use the dip chewing 
Chris Pratt and Joel Egerton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, camo. I think camo. the other the other reason why uh, Mark Duplass might have been there is kind of to pave the way so that when Chris Pratt shows up, it's not so mind blowing. <laughs> you just you don't go, what the fuck is Chris Pratt doing here? Because Mark Duplass already took that surprise out. Oh, not... Mark Duplass is here. That means Chris Pratt's gonna be there. Right. It's just like when well, anything can happen now. <laughs> like Pee Wee Herman can show up as a as a seal. And and that'll be fine. And I wonder how many hashtag MAGA folks were upset to learn that Joel Edgerton is actually uh, a limey. He's from the <laughs> you know the United Kingdom. But his heart's in the right place. That's right. Mark Strong's heart is in the right place. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was actually pretty impressed with his accent, uh, Mark Strong's accent. Yeah. I if mm-hmm. if I hadn't seen him in anything else, I would have been like, it's a hot red blood pretty American guy yeah he he can do like the New Jersey trash thing too pretty good Um, but the Oscar moment that Hulu and I both had fond memories of it is earlier in the film where basically Jessica Chastain just belittles and emasculates Kyle (laughs) Chandler stating you know what really the deal is but the true Oscar moment she had is when she tells uh, Edgerton and Chris Pratt uh, Bidlon is there and you're gonna kill him for me (laughs) Well, that's that's Oscar moment slash trailer moment. Yes, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was in the trailer. I don't remember. I remember the trailer. It is almost completely uh, constructed of clips from the last thirty minutes. I was about to say, please tell me they sell it as an action movie. The opening shot, yeah, the opening shot of the trailer I remember very vividly is um, uh, Andy and uh, Joel Edgerton playing the horseshoes. wow, the very <laughs> end of the movie. Yeah, they're playing horseshoes, and they're like, "We gonna get Osama bin Laden." <laughs> and just like clips on infiltrating and shit. And then, of course, the shot of Jessica Chastain on the plane lands. And yeah, they don't tell you, hey, there's fucking nine hours of just talking beforehand. Uh, you know how That's long so it weird. took to find him? Well, we're going to make you feel about us long. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so before the go is given for Target UBL, Tony Soprano holds the final meeting and basically. and. This kind of bleeds over into hashtag real talk, but fucking hell. When he's talking about, I have to go relay this information to the president. I was just thinking, imagine if we had a situation similar to this right now with Trump. Someone had to go like explain something. Look him in the eye. Yeah. Uh, There was a quote that I didn't read, but there was uh, actually there were several that would reference something about how uh, basically what this movie does is depict a dark period in American history because even though we won, we didn't win and blah, 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 blah. But every time they said dark period of American history, I was like, well, in a few years. <laughs> Just hang on, guys. Just wait. It gets darker. <laughs> but basically this is this final scene with the, with the suits is meant to establish uh, that Jessica Chastain has won the uh, approval and respect of her peers and superiors. Because basically, my notes say Tony Soprano gives the kid the nod. Right, yeah. Because everybody else is is just being pretty wishy-washy about the chances of this mission. And then Jessica Chastain just goes all in. Again, with no... She doesn't have any intel that the other people don't, you know, that they don't have. So... Once more, she's going on a hunch. She lucked out. She got so personal with it. She yeah. said, this is my baby. I found it. We're, we're going through with it. She even like shit talks him. She's like, she 100%, does. but I'm going to say 95 because I know you guys are pussies. Yeah. And, and they never say anything back to her. Nope. Never. They're like, well, she got Kyle Chandler fired. So. <laughs> Poor Kyle Chandler. Felt so bad for him the whole movie. I don't think. <laughs> he was just doing his job. And... Have, yeah, I wish he would have had just like a closing line. I wish they like they shown him and uh, at home watching TV when it happens when they break the news. It's like God damn it! I should have stuck around for a little longer. Yeah, 
so then, literally, the last half hour of the movie is just the siege and not even capture, but killing of Osama bin Laden. And the entire time you're thinking, obviously, Chris Pratt or Joel Edgerton are going to kill him. But no, it's not just some random look. dude. Right. I was trying to figure out if it was, if it was Joel Egerton because the guy that shot him looked like him. And I was like, there's no way they would have these two guys and then not use them. And then some guy. They really have nothing to do other than Be, talk yeah. about Jessica Chastain. But then that's it. They don't really accomplish. Like they, Joel Egerton and Chris Pratt, they don't do anything that the other people didn't do. And that. And then in the ultimate indignance, disgrace, fucking hoodwinked, bamboozled us as an audience. They don't even, they have the fucking temerity to not even show Bin Laden when he's dead. God damn it. I want Alfred Molina in a Santa beard laying there with a bullet hole in his head. That's better than any actor I've could have come up with. I've been, I've been thinking the entire time since you mentioned it while we were watching the movie and I couldn't come up with anybody. Uh, yeah, Alfred Molina, I would have bought it all the way. Uh, but yeah, it's not even that. It's just so anticlimactic because it's almost like, Catherine you know Bill, what's gonna happen? But not just that. It's like almost like she forgot that she was making a movie. There's no music. There's no like quick cuts. You know, it's like this is not supposed to be real life. Mm-hmm. Y- you can skip the boring parts and get to like the actual shooting. They and have st- to breach like fucking six doors. <laughs> and we six see six doors, every- four women, yeah. ten kids. There's like there's a helicopter that because there's two helicopters. There's one that kind of fucks up and, and falls Crashes. out. Okay, that didn't amount to anything. So you could have just... Nobody died there. Yeah. So you could have just removed that part of the story and it's okay because it's not a documentary. Or fuck it and just, you know, put your own twist on it. And there was one guy left in there that had what they needed to get in. <laughs> and, you know, he says, tell my kids I love them. And then he like, passes it along. Make it interesting, Catherine Bigelow. Fuck. I think the one thing they go back to that helicopter for is the, uh, the body bag. Which is kind of lame. That's that's not that's low stakes. Because they couldn't just take them shitty sheets that he was sleeping in and just wrap them up in those. Well, you got to preserve the body for but Jessica Chastain. That, well, the whole point is you have to have the zipper so Jessica Chastain <laughs> can come up to it, look at it, and nod. Yeah, that's been lost. It's not the same if you just like rip the Velcro off of the sheets. Like if you like, you know, mm. they just like sew them together or something. Just like the whole movie builds up. It builds up to her walking for like five minutes just to his body bag. <laughs> she slowly opens it for another five minutes. And she, yeah, this is Bin Laden. Because we didn't already know that because they wouldn't show us See, who he was. That would have been the ultimate twist. She's like, no. That's <laughs> not him. Uh, that movie. One Dark Thirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... Well, but that's not what happened. What happens is we just take her word for it. And uh, and then because she's a woman, she goes and has a good cry about it. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, all the guys, are just celebrating. I think the reason Chris Pratt got cast was just so he could go like, woo, like when they finally returned. Yeah. Uh, everybody else is like popping beers open and just like going through the bootlegs and the magazines that they got from uh, Bin Laden's house. You know what the end of this movie is. I don't know if you didn't see it. It's the end of Smoke and Aces. Oh, yeah, but, okay, dude, we did Smoking Aces. Of <laughs> no, course, I've seen it. No, I know. But oh, like, if I made the connection? Where, you know, she's walking through all the chaos just to see the body, and the only thing that was missing was she should have just pulled up a chair and sat next to it as the movie <laughs> faded to black, and then Common starts playing. Right, no, instead, they, they gave her an extra scene where she boards an empty plane. And then she has the Michael Fassbender, I have no shame moment, where right. she just starts crying. I have no shame. I won that Oscar. Yes. And then she gets like, well, it's more than one tear, right? She doesn't do the single tear. She, starts, it was she, she one starts crying. Because if we haven't belittled women enough throughout this movie, <laughs> it's that they can't handle emotional stress. So. Right. 
13 just, years of emotional stress. That's true. That's that's still, I mean, nobody else is crying there. Like I said, Gandolfini. So this was only 10 years since 9-11, so what was she doing those three previous years? Or two previous years? Didn't she say she was in the CIA, like, right out of high school? And they didn't tell us why. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, She's I don't like, feel... I don't think I should talk about that. Yeah. I, I'm not allowed to talk about interesting stuff. Just uh, <laughs> just the research, just the cold hard facts. They sir. dropped like a lot of stuff. Like they, they mentioned earlier and then they we you thought they were gonna bring it back. I think that's one of the one things that bothered me about the movie. Like how they talked about the yeah, he lives by like the West Point of Saudi Arabia. And you're like, Oh my god, they're gonna be in so much trouble if they make noise and a helicopter crashes and they have all these people shouting. That really I really wanted an explanation. They pull out six doors. Literally. Yeah. Like, how is it? Osama bin Laden and his bodyguards are the heaviest sleepers ever because that's not a, a, a quiet recon. Because they were saying you go in, you check, see if he, if that's him. If that's not him, you guys leave. Like nothing happened. I mean, stuff happens from the very beginning. A helicopter crashes against one of the walls, and then, but nothing. I mean, there's a couple people that show up, and then they have to tell them, "Hey, you leave, or we kill you." But they just go in guns blazing. They're not even checking if it's been Laden. Just bah, 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 bah. killing everyone <laughs> yeah. that shows up around the corner. Yeah. And they say their names, too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, are they gone? When they go, Osama. Roger. Osama. <laughs> like, he's going to come out. <laughs> they go, Murph. Murph. <laughs> Don't let me leave, Murph. <laughs> Murph. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, man. And then, yeah, they have those kids they all have wrangled up. And I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 almost again the movie trying to manipulate you into feeling bad because we're not all that bad. We still care about the kids, right? But but you know you were like fist pumping right now when we were breaking into the compound. Don't you feel bad now? Those <laughs> kids, they don't have parents. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. We got rid of them. So the movie ends, and America was great forever and ever. That's it. Yeah, that's the end. More or less, yeah. yeah. With the terrorism was was thing. over. Yeah, it is. It was. Uh, I I I was kind of bummed that they they wasted the Obama cameo halfway through the movie because really he could have if you just wanted to really stamp out the the just put a, a like a pin on it on the whole well women can't really get it done and even when they get it done they they just can't handle success mm-hmm. then you could just end with like the clip of Obama you know announcing it and they're like this is how you tell people <laughs> that terrorism ended or just like say fuck it at that point because in a lot of cases you've probably lost your audience if i represent most of the audience which i do and then just say fuck it and have like chris rock play obama the the <laughs> so, you know telling jessica chastain we owe you a great deal of gratitude that type of shit uh, the, the end credit like after the credit scene is uh the real osama bin laden like watching everything from tv and just like Laughing. He's fucking Ed Harris from the Truman Show. <laughs> <laughs> the Truman Show. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. All right. We, we got through Zero Dark Thirty a lot less time than uh, the movie. <laughs> yes. And- there really wasn't that much content other than the whole thing was just so ironic that Jessica Chastain had Abu Ahmed this whole time. Like, this is the answer. He's going to lead us straight to Obama. Or Obama, Obama. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, no! The uh... <laughs> man who you ask, yeah. who you voted for. Uh, he literally drives straight to Osama bin Laden's house. Like he literally drives into his house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. I know that there is a lot of information there. Well, there's more real talk than 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 Contreras Corner. So I think we should probably yeah. skip over to real talk unless you have. <laughs> I have nothing else to add to this movie. <laughs> You've given everything you had. <laughs> the, 
I've, this, I've now watched this twice, and I will never be watching this movie again. So. <laughs> what about when we do our Catherine Bigelow retrospective? I will watch Point Break twice instead of watching this again. <laughs> and I'll the watch remake. Logger again. And Laden is the one who keeps telling them to attack the homeland. If it wasn't for him, Al Qaeda would still be focused on overseas targets. If you really want to protect the homeland, you need to get Bin Laden. This guy never met Bin Laden. This guy's a freelancer working off the fucking internet. No one's even talked to Bin Laden in four years. He's out of the game. He may well even be dead. He might as well be fucking dead. But you know what you're doing? You're chasing a ghost while the whole fucking network goes all around you. You just want me to nail some low-level mullah crackadola so you can check that box on your resume that says while you were in Pakistan, you got a real terrorist. But the truth is, you don't understand Pakistan, and you don't know Al-Qaeda. Either give me the team I need to follow this lead, or the other thing you're going to have on your resume is being the first station chief to be called before a congressional committee for subverting the efforts to capture or kill bin Laden. Okay, real talk for Zero Dark Thirty. All right, let me get through this shit here. Zero Dark Thirty was released, oh, of course, it was a Christmas movie, December 19th, 2012. Oh. Uh, budget of $40 million, box office of a little under $133 million. Of course, directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by Mark Bull, who I did read, said, I wrote this specifically for Catherine Bigelow to direct. Um... Of course, it was nominated for Best Picture in the year of 2013, which it lost to Argo. Remember that movie? Um, let's see here. I do just a few things I wanted to read over. Zero Dark Thirty has received criticism for historical inaccuracy. Former Assistant Secretary of Defense Graham T. Allison has um, opined that the film is inaccurate in three important regards. The overstatement of the positive role of enhanced interrogation methods. The understatement of the role of the Obama administration and the portrayal of efforts as being driven by one agent battling against the CIA system. Um, did anybody tell her that, against the world. Did anybody tell that guy that, hey, it's a movie? Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I remember specifically, too, just from the time it came out, was Republicans were mad that it came out right around the time of the election because, like, Obama did something during these four years, which, I mean... I would like to think he did better things than just having Osama bin Laden killed. Also, I don't think that anybody had forgotten that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> no one needed a reminder of that. Uh, well, some people, I, I guess what you're saying is all these uh, green splotches, all these rotten tomatoes are, uh, are Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, six quotes for you. Christopher Tukey from Daily Mail UK says, A silly, at times despicable film that never remotely deserved an Oscar nomination. Compared with this, Team America World Police was a think piece. James Platt from Movie Metropolis. Run Tomatoes notes that I agree with tomato meter critics 80% of the time, but this is one of those times I have to part ways with them. Richard von Busak from Metroactive says, Indulges Cheneyan fantasies from Dick Cheney. Cheneyan's fantasies complete with the bad movie scene of the prisoner's defiance. You're just a garbage man in the corporation, shouts the Arab who needs a lesson in manners from the PhD in torture, who is wow. racking him. Yeah, this guy was really They're angry. not holding back any of these. Nope. Eileen Jones from Not Safe for Work Corporation says, It's one of the hammiest films I've seen in recent memory, full of, those, full of those big phony moments when the whole room stops so someone can say his or her big line and get a big contrived reaction. Okay. Not wrong. It's not. I, I have to agree with that one. 
Michael Atkinson from In These Times says, In These Times? <laughs> in These Times. Uh, as polished as a gun barrel and about as complicated. And then finally, Michelle Orange from Capital, New York. It's this great burn. Even good stories don't tell themselves, especially not if they aim to be great. And Alex Mattis from The Contrarians says, Zero Dark Thirty, more like Borophil. <laughs> like Zero Dark Boring. Yeah, okay. So. Zero Dark Interest. Yes. No, I, I, I liked it. <laughs> because because I'm not I'm not from here, so I can totally totally appreciate the struggle. This is what I worked for to get this citizenship. <laughs> uh, uh, let's start. It's a with very the, American movie. Yeah, let's start with the guest, Kinsey. Um, why? <laughs> no. How, how, how why? Do, how do you feel about this movie? So, um, the last time I saw it was probably a year after it came out. And I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it because I was like, oh, my God, America, this is crazy. Osama bin Laden died. This is how it happened. And then the second time I saw it, I still really like it. Um, but I don't like it as much as I liked it the first time. I think 92% is a little generous. After, you know, you pick out, I like watching it from a different perspective, like trying to pick out what's wrong with it. And then I realized like all of these things that just, kind of disappointed me like it it didn't feel as satisfying the ending as it did last time i remember it mm -hmm. we, we do kind of ruin movies for ourselves sometimes when we <laughs> when we force ourselves to I can see nit, that nitpick them for the show uh because i definitely remember liking this a lot more the first time i watched it uh, but it's also because you know you can only watch a movie for the first time once yeah, and i right. think that once you know once the novelty is gone and you just have to contend with the movie as it is. Uh, with this one in particular, you know, and, and some other movies, they just lose something that's very important. Because the first time you're like, well, what is it going to be like to see a movie about the the hunt for Bin Laden and the, the conclusion of that? It's only movies but, like this, like it loses its charm the first time you watch it. Like it, you could probably watch Up a few times and then still have a good time. <laughs> you'll still laugh every you'll time. You'll still laugh, <laughs> laugh, cry for the first 15 minutes. Well, yeah. Okay, saying I even drew attention. I, I like Life of Pi, but that's a classic example of a movie that works one time and one then time afterwards man. some cracks I, start to shine through. I think Tiger Lovers would probably can stand like a few more watches but this one i still i still like it i i kind of i feel like it's one of those movies that you appreciate at a distance more than that it's it was hard to engage with it because so much of it is just technical it's just like a lot of uh, oh we're doing this and this and this and this it really felt uh it feels very thorough research wise i guess or at they least wanted I, to show you how much research they made and they wanted to put all of it in there right i like i like the thoroughness in a way. There was nothing left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> nothing. I don't know. Uh, Except for Osama bin Laden. They didn't want to show him. And Kyle Chandler's exit line. <laughs> his <laughs> final scene was was uh, next. <laughs> he turned to just Well, Maya, I guess it is zero dark. <laughs> <laughs> good night and good luck. <laughs> uh, no, but... but, but <laughs> I have one word for you, Argo. <laughs> uh, no, I I think that uh, the procedural aspect of it, I it it works better the first time around, and the second time around, watching this, I knew I didn't I didn't really have to pay attention to it uh, that much. It didn't have me on the edge of my seat because 
I really kind of remember how they got from point A and point to point B and and the specifics of it. I I didn't find that interesting this time around. I could have done without a lot of the shop talk when they're just brainstorming things and whatever. But I understand why it's necessary, at least to me, when uh, because you have to go through that that grind. I think in the movie of just going through all this boring as hell uh, investigation mm-hmm. because that's what it was like in the real world. So I'm assuming that's what they're trying to capture. Where it was, you know, it was dude, it was ten years of us looking for this or whatever, and uh, and we're only giving you the two and a half hour version. So you can only imagine what it was like for everybody else oh, to yeah. be in it for that long, and and then when you get to the very end, you don't even get to see <laughs> Bin Laden dead. You don't get any sort of satisfaction from it, which is how I imagine people felt. Okay, we killed him, but. Eh. I think they just wanted to show how satisfied Jessica Chastain was at the end. Like that like her going, Oh, finally, like after these like what, twelve, thirteen years, we finally did it. But then she cries. She cries. Oh, she like saunters out just into the, the midnight air. But yeah, it's um I think if nothing else artistically, that was a good call in that we don't see bin Laden dead and it's only the people in the room that do because that's really how it happens. And I think that's Right. And that's about all the praise I'm going to give this. Person. Oh come on, you can be you can be a little more generous. So boring, so monotonous. <laughs> you like Jason Clark? Jason Clark is very underutilized. I like Jason Clark, despite uh, Super Eight. I like Kyle Chandler. Uh, <laughs> I like Mark Strong. I like Joel Edgerton. I love Chris Pratt. I love Jessica Chastain. Um, I mean, there's not a single person in the cast I think that. Does a bad job. I like Catherine Bigelow for the most part. I like, uh, I mean, I joke, but yeah, fucking Point Break, uh, Hurt Locker. Um, it's just, it's so long and so boring, and especially given that the last half hour of the film in itself is a great short film and is so superior to everything else that happens in the movie. So you at least like that last part? The Siege, yeah. The the Chris Pratt show? So the immediate examples that come to mind, uh, 500 Days of Summer and Looper. Oddly enough, I just made the connection to both Joseph Gordon-Levitt movies. Movies you <laughs> and I, former guest of the podcast, Eddie, have talked about, um, contain within them these incredible little short films. And Looper, the scene where it's like going through the history of his life up until you know when he meets his loop, closes his loop. And then 500 Days of Summer, while a shitty movie, that little short where it's the reality versus expectations, that's really good. And that's what I got with this. It's like, Man, this part of the movie is so infinitely superior to everything else going on. I just wish I had just watched this. Uh, I wish. This is one of those rare times where I wish we were actually video recording so listeners could have seen my face when you brought up 500 Days of Summer and Looper at I the know. same time. <laughs> Took the scenic route, but I brought you back to where we were I was trying to make the connection. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, that scene where uh, just we're going to let it breaks down at the end and cries. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like it. I can appreciate the short film, but I think that part of it works because of buildup. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I've said that about a couple of movies that we've done recently too, where I'll I'll defend the the journey even if it's a little tedious because it's the payoff. It, it wouldn't work right. if you didn't have that. You know, there's there's a Hollywood way of doing this story, which I think takes maybe more liberties. Uh, with Making the process, stuff up. right? Where it's, more action, where it's more, more, yeah, exactly. Where Jessica just saying is front and center the entire time, In your face. And, right? Punching guys, not having guys do it for exactly. We're, Still, it's even it's pretty heavy handed with its message of, while accurate, the whole 
female oppression thing, it still makes a point a couple times to kind of beat you over the head with it. But but I think it's even more complicated than that though, because it's not just the 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 oh she's a woman and and that's what rookie and a rookie and that's why she had such a hard time getting taken seriously. But it's also uh, the people that are complaining or the people that complain back then about the depiction of torture and the depiction of uh, uh, that is fucking brutal, right? But I don't think the movie is actually telling you. well, this is for sure how it happened. Like this is for sure how they got the intel. I mean, the movie I think stops right before getting there, and it's just saying this was happening, and they got some intel out of there, and some of it might have been right, some of it might have been wrong. But I don't think the movie is an endorsement of torture as a way to getting information. Uh, just like I don't think the movie is telling you that none of the information they got through torture is was valid. Mm-hmm. I think it's saying this was happening, and we got some intel out of it, and some of it was good, and some of it was bad. Do you, member of the audience, think that it was worth it? And and I like that it does that. That it doesn't really take a side. And the people that are reading it as, oh, it's just saying that torture is the way to go. I don't think that they were like really looking hard enough at the movie. Yeah. It it shows the the impact of torturing people. The impact that it has on Jason Clark mm-hmm. just to begin with. Uh, somebody killed his monkeys. Killed his monkeys. <laughs> oh, they just shipped them out, or. Or they actually killed him. No, they said they killed him. Oh, yeah. yeah. The cover-up was that they shipped him. <laughs> they told him they went to a farm somewhere, to the uncle's farm. But Why would they do that? What was the point of that? Because they were stealing everybody's ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> Those monkeys were spoiled. That's uh, that's a big problem. Uh, but, yeah, I, I actually appreciate the ambiguity uh, of uh, just the whole process of how messy it looks and how luck driven it looks i mean it, it's a lot of work and i don't think it's it diminishes the work that the real people did in the real world to catch bin laden mm-hmm. but i think it also portrays this whole thing of like we were way in over our heads there's we caught him because well things happen to work out but but they could have just as easily not worked out <laughs> right. that's i do appreciate the timetable of it because basically i mean you weren't here yet right I was. I totally was. When did you move here? Uh, it was after 9-11, but before Bin Laden got, got killed. So, yeah, basically, that, that was the, the tone. Something has to happen. Right. You know, like, basically, that was, for the longest time, it was just fucking throwing dartboards with a blindfold. Right. Or throwing darts with a blindfold on in terms of just... And, yeah, that was a situation that was kind of lucked into, and fortune favors the just. Or uh... They were really under pressure. Everybody was pointing fingers at them. You know, if you don't do this soon, if you don't do this right now, then there's going to be consequences. And unfortunately, a lot of people, and this is getting real, real talk, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people's opinion of Obama's first term is that all that happened was Bin Laden got killed, which is narrow-minded and unfortunate, but that's... Kind of a lot of people's interpretation of it. I, I remember getting into uh, uh, misguided arguments on Facebook that I wouldn't get into now mm-hmm. uh, where, with people that were like, well, we want to see the body. How do you know that he really got killed? And uh, yeah, and, and I was like, uh, well, uh, <laughs> but then I would try to make them understand or at least just make them understand how silly it sounded. And it's just... I think One Dark Thirty would be the sequel about the, the backlash of Bin Laden's death. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I I think it does well also with the, you know, that speech, the Oscar clip where she uh, chews out Kyle Chandler and she tells him, all you want is to make sure that 
somebody says that you got a terrorist mm -hmm. while you were in charge. It doesn't matter who it was. Right. Uh, that goes back to the whole pressure back back then. Well, something needs to be done. We need results and all that stuff. People are like demanding something be happen. Yeah, and and even though they're portrayed as kind of, uh, uh, they're definitely not portrayed as the good guys here. I like I said, I feel for the the guys that had to approve the plan and all that stuff because they're making the approval based on a lot of conjecture and there's no real proof. And so you have uh, Mark Strong arguing his case uh, in front of three guys, and one of them looks like he's 18. In yeah, I was wondering about that. There's this guy that's questioning Mark Strong, and then he just comes. This kid looks as young as I am, <laughs> and it was kind of bothering me that they were like, "Yeah, it's a drug lord." That was that was the intern. They were like, "We're gonna fuck with him. Bring Joey. <laughs> bring Joey over." Oh, dude, but yeah, talking about Oscar clips. Uh, Mark Strong's introductory speech: three thousand people died. What is being done? It's just like, fuck yeah, man, America. Oh. Yeah, everybody gets uh, uh, their their moments to shine. All the all the big names that they bring out: Mark Strong, Gandolfini. Uh, I think Pratt and Edgerton. I guess you know they just they're not really big yeah. back then. They were I, literally, for all intents and purposes, story wise and thematically, they are hired guns. Right, but yeah. but even back then, Chris Pratt wasn't Chris Pratt, right? He was Parks and Rec, but he Parks wasn't. Parks and Rec was just. No, because Parks and Rec started taking off when I was still in college. So he would have been a name, but not anywhere near Guardians of the Galaxy. He was not Star-Lord yeah, or uh, exactly. What Jurassic about Joel Egerton? What did he do? What was he doing? My Warriors came out, uh, but that wasn't like a huge hit or anything. The only thing that comes to mind is Great Gatsby, but that was like way after. Yeah, no, and, and I don't think I think people think Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire before they think Joel Egerton. That movie. Joel Egerton's just a handsy dude. <laughs> he can do an American accent perfectly, also. So he's not American. No. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh my god, I didn't know that mm -hmm. either. What is? What is he? British. What? He is. Mm -hmm. All these British actors in such an American movie. My my dad. Yeah, my dad. Uh, when we watched Warrior, he he refused to believe Tom Hardy was British. <laughs> he no. Said, he's like, no one can nail that Jersey trash accent and not be from there. And I was like, no, he's he's British. Joel Edgerton too. Uh. All right, well, but, but I mean, they all do great, but really it is uh, uh, the poor man. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Uh, the poor man's Bryce Dallas Howard's movie. <laughs> yeah, Jessica Chastain's really good, but, I mean, her filmography for the most part is an embarrassment of riches in terms of what she's been able to accomplish. Uh, I That being said, I've seen her be so much better in other things they only gave her like one emotion throughout the movie they're like you have to be the tough girl and the only girl in the room and you have to make all these men feel like belittled and um and then like even the part where jessica's character dies and they have her like borderline crying cuddled up to like in a the corner. arm of a couch or something yeah it's like someone bring a ramen for fuck's sake like <laughs> instead they bring her abu ahmed <laughs> information and she's all better she feels fine now uh I appreciate the moments of lightness are very brief, though, in her performance, because I think that that's what makes it great. And I've forgotten about them because when I think her performance in this movie, I think of the end and I think, oh, yeah, that's so awesome that at the very end, she just breaks down and it makes sense. Uh, but I've forgotten that there's those few moments where she's she says something that's lighthearted, like when she's thanking somebody for bringing her information or where she's playing with Kyle Chandler. I think Chandler brings her this 
big file and he's like okay you get to interrogate this guy but you have to go through this file first and she's just happy and by then we've already seen her be intense Mm -hmm. but she's just happy that she got her guy and she messes with Chandler and lists all the things that she already knows he's gonna need her to ask and it's a very I buy it I even I I, want to say I buy it even more than when she's all intense and interrogating people Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah I did like whenever she was interrogating people yeah I, I mean I and you do see a little bit of difference at the very beginning when she's just watching uh, Jason Clark torturing people, right. and you can see that she's squeezy and she's not, she's not ready for that. But then, mm. I think that it's believable when you see the transition to her. She gets hard like over time. She told that guy just be truthful, and then <laughs> yeah. by the end, she just had it. Yeah, I I think it's a well earned Oscar nomination. Uh, even if you don't like the movie, I think that you can you can't deny that it's a really good performance. Uh, no, it's not bad. It's more like that whole thing with the way my brain works, like nominations. In my brain, I'm just gonna assume it was like for a collective body of work and not just for that one performance. Not to say it's anything bad, and of course, any issues I have with the narrative or direction of the film literally have nothing to do with her. But it's. Uh, yeah, I guess I've just seen her in other things that I thought she was, like, she spoke to me more in. And that's all personal preference. But, yeah, she she definitely carries whatever scene she's in. Yeah, and she stands she up really to, to a lot of big guns. Mm-hmm. She has scenes with pretty much every uh, big every boss. every big name that they bring into the movie. They just, yeah, every big boss. I was going to make a joke, and I forgot, uh, in uh, Hashtag CC about how because uh, you know they they kill Bin Laden and then they're like they have four minutes to loot the compound. It, when fucking Metal Gear Rex comes in, boom! Right, right. And I was like, oh, these rookies. You know, you loot the place before you kill the big boss, so you don't have to rush. Through the... up on your ammo and rations before you fight the big boss. <laughs> you have to right. search through everything. Yeah, yeah. Get you all get the information. You get the secret rooms. <laughs> you get the secret room before uh, before you actually fight the big boss. When I was reading about this movie, it was kind of clairvoyant because um i don't even know if that'd be the word i'd use for it but it kind of aligned thoughts of mine so Catherine bigelow i guess what i from what i read reached out to jessica chastain to be on this when she was working on coriolanus which is very similar to my take on this coriolanus was a movie that was widely heralded by critics and just it was supposed to be amazing and people loved it all these awards and shit and i was just bored to death watching it that's uh, Ray Fiennes, right? Yeah. Ray Fiennes, uh, Gerard Butler. What, it, what movie is this? Coriolanus. It's based oh. on a play. I think it's Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've seen it. Ray Fiennes. He directed it. He directed it. Directed he directed it. it. Well. It's uh, <laughs> very similar. Just because I'm bored by it doesn't mean it's bad. But when a movie's long and you're bored a half hour in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel longer. It's going to weigh on you. Yeah, yeah. I I I had forgotten it was two and a half hours, but two hours and thirty seven minutes. Wow. Well, you know, I would have said like two hours ten minutes, but <laughs> take the credits off, and you know, when you're having fun, time flies. Uh, yeah, it's right around two thirty four that someday by Sugar Ray, it's <laughs> roll. Uh, I don't know, but I also I wouldn't want to shortchange the. It almost feels like making it less than two hours would be a little disrespectful. <laughs> You know what I mean? And that's exactly what I was joking with you about. It's so hard to critique this without coming across as like an asshole or anything. It's just 
I'm familiar with the story. The movie itself just bored me type thing. It's supposed to be a super important movie. Whenever it was made, everybody would go see it. But it's unlike a lot of other war movies or historical JFK, right. um, fucking Platoon, you know, take your pick. The cultural footprint left by this movie is very minimal. Um, I mean, I guess it's, I, I think it's probably too soon to know. Uh, been six years. That's too soon. I would say, you know, 20 years from now. How long has it been since Splatoon? Good 15. No, it has. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, it's been 30, 40 years. Whoa. It's, I think that you, you have to wait and, and see. I, I think the real problem, and I say problem as in, you know, that's, uh, I think when the when accuracy in depicting real life becomes a problem is when a generation that was not alive when it happened watches the movie and takes it as a historical document instead of a movie inspired by real events. That's a huge issue with JFK. A lot of people don't realize <laughs> a lot of that's fictionalized. Uh, well, but also Oliver Stone, I'm sure he's like 100% behind everything. Oh, yeah, like his commentary is like, yeah, this is the research I need for <laughs> this to be fact. This happened. <laughs> Tommy, the real Tommy Lee Jones was in this room with this happened. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that if it's not forgotten, and I don't think it will because you don't have that many movies about uh, the hunt for Bin Laden. I can't think of a single other one. I, I can The know. hunt for Red Bin Laden. <laughs> uh, the Sean Connery vehicle. Yeah. But that uh, went straight to video. So, you yeah, know, that's, that's, right, that's right. The hunt for the Red Bin Laden is uh, uh, How Bin Laden Saved Christmas. <laughs> You hit Osama with an open hand. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, because it doesn't have <laughs> Osama, Osama. <laughs> uh, I think because you don't have any competitions, because you have so many Vietnam movies. Uh, you know, I mean JFK, I don't know, but uh, you could like take your pick of different takes on. On a certain event, on a certain war, a certain whatever. But how many movie takes do you have on this specific event? That's true. So, so if it becomes like the only one that that's available, then it, who's to say fifty years from now this won't be heralded as a historic documentary? Right, right. Kids will have to do uh, reports on it. They'll be like, "Yeah, I didn't read the book, but I watched the movie." Yeah, yeah I don't I think dyed it... my hair red just like Dice Bryant's <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it will happen because it's so dense. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're going to have a bunch of teenagers watching the movie for the kick of it. Mm -hmm. But I think no. it, it's still probably a high point. I mean, it's a high point in Bigelow's filmography. And it's something that can be referred to time and again as something she did that got a claim and that got some controversy. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to like you get a, a lesser filmmaker or a less known filmmaker making this movie and it doesn't get anything. And then, then it's forgotten. Like, but, um, what was that Vietnam movie with uh, Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox? Hey, whoa, that's Brian De Palma. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not a bad movie. I would have to rewatch it before I, I endorse it's it. It's always one that comes to mind though. When I talk about war movies or anything of a good movie that just due to whatever reason slipped through the cracks and doesn't really have that big of a legacy. That's uh tears, tears of dawn casualties of war. Casual. What the fuck? Was <laughs> Wait, were you thinking Tears the Sun with uh, Bruce Bruce Willis? Bruce Willis? Yeah, yeah, that's Tears an intense sun. movie. I haven't seen it. I remember the posters. Bruce Willis's yellow face. It's possible. Was... The only thing I remember about the movie is fucking uh, 
Michael J. Fox crying. <laughs> he cries a lot in that movie. It's true. Yeah, and oh. Sean Penn is a son of a bitch in that He's movie. He's a shitty person <laughs> yeah. in that movie. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the Palma. And I watched it on TV when I was way too young for it. And it mm-hmm. just scared me off war movies. That's too much Sean Penn. Specifically burned into my brain is the rape scene. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can't be unseen. And, you know, Michael J. Yeah, Fox. Really brought the mood down. <laughs> After this, killing Bin Laden sounds like a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so joyful when yeah. Chris Pratt lets out that howl and uh, everybody else is high fiving. So, again, not. Yeah. My personal take on the movie and being bored by it is no way. It's not a poorly made film by any stretch, so that's not like a message I would want to convey. Uh, obviously, based on the tones it touches upon and how it's crafted, yeah, and especially with the whole up to ten nominations now for Best Picture, of course something like this is going to get thrown in. I think it's it's worth. I don't think it was just like worth making, but I think I think it's an. It may not be the most entertaining approach to take, but especially given the the how recent it was it right. maybe was the right approach to take you know if you make it a little more hollywood and like we were talking and you give just people would have been that, mad about it right it would have yeah. felt like a cash in like well, what the fuck we would have probably been here He's the one that kills him right yeah. right she breaks in and yeah. shoots him and she like slaps Gandolfini and all that stuff chris uh, pratt is right behind her right well you have that movie from i haven't seen it but that's the feeling i get from uh that movie uh, the michael bay movie from what Last year, two years ago, the 13 hours, 13? Oh, is it 13 right. hours? Yeah, 13 hours. Was Isn't that, that about the uh, uh, other? Benghazi. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that feels like a hardcore Hollywood movie with the slow motion really and, and Jim from The Office. This is so, so much slow motion. All in favor, say die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, I haven't seen it, but just watching the trailer and knowing Benghazi is such a huge topic, it just feels like a little ex- like in poor taste, maybe. And... Uh, but this movie, you can criticize it about many things, but I don't think it's it goes it crosses a line where you would say this is it's too soon or it's in poor taste. Mm. I the it's very cold and clinical and literally by the numbers, very cold. Which is what, yeah. If you're tackling something that sensitive that quickly, what you need to do. right? Well, I would say by the other numbers because you know you would say by the numbers of like Hollywood formula, then it would be. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. By the by, the actual stats. <laughs> by the actual numbers. <laughs> the as num- much as I um, joke about, you know, the whole it's so feminist with um, Jessica Chastain and she's a woman and she's making all of these calls and everybody and everybody's like, "Where's your source?" This isn't that. Well, it's still it's still cool to see it on TV or like on a movie like screen because you don't really see that point of view very often. Mm-hmm. I think I I do like the that take on it. It might have been a little exaggerated at some points, but I do like how they show, you know, she's the only woman. She's nobody addresses her until, you know, no, she doesn't speak until she's spoken to and she doesn't have as much of a say, even though she's the one behind. She's like the mind behind. Right. It. They call her for that meeting with Gandolfini and then they ask her to sit her on the side. Just right. sit over there. You don't, you're not allowed and here. And then to... she's like, yeah, well, I found this place. So that's why we're all here. <laughs> and, but speaking to a point you made, Kinsey, in the first portion, the hashtag CC. The there are some incredibly telegraph scenes. Incredibly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I I do wonder if they were, you know, it has to be intentional, right? That they, it's, it's not Bigelow, right. There, well, there's no way that she expected us to not to be in suspense about what's going to happen. She has to know that we knew 
we could see what was going to happen. And she's like, well, that's not what I'm interested in. I just want to. Uh... It's not like that twist ending to Lincoln where he gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> the twist ending is that uh, he didn't get shot from behind. It was from the side. Yeah, exactly. There or were the two shooters. And he just died of gangrene. It wasn't in a theater. <laughs> yeah. He was watching TV at home. Uh, well, I mean, again, we've covered all possible aspects of this movie, and we did it in a fraction of the time the actual movie did. Yeah, well, uh, I was going to say, well, we didn't have to do the research. <laughs> but uh, uh, give me your, your rating. What What's your, your letter grading? Uh, it's like a B minus. Oh, that's pretty generous. I thought well, you were going to be a lot. I thought you were going to say probably C. You know, because, I, because I don't like a movie or because a movie bores me doesn't mean I can't acknowledge it's like competent. Well filmmaking. done. And this movie is beyond competent filmmaking. I that's complete sidebar, but I hate that competence become a negative thing. Right. You say yeah. So saying is something's competent now people take it as an insult. But whatever the case, this is really really good filmmaking. And Captain Bigelow is no fucking slouch. The mm. fact that I find it abhorrently boring does not uh, cloud my judgment in that way. Uh yeah. To me. I read in stars, so I say four out of five stars. Mm-hmm. It's not a movie that would be inclined to revisit. You've already said you would never watch it again. No. I would, you know, but not anytime soon, and certainly not just for the pleasure of watching it by myself. I would have to, like, be introducing someone to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to know how we caught Bin Laden? And now I can say we because I'm a citizen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's very uh, uh, didactic, and I think that works only so much. Definitely not much uh, rewatch value. At least it doesn't feel like it right now. I probably won't watch it again <laughs> ever, ever again. I've I feel like I've seen it so many times at this point, and it's just really <laughs> lost its charm. <laughs> <laughs> well, twenty years from now, when you don't remember how we caught Bin Laden, you hey can, kids, you, this is how it went. Yeah, <laughs> I need you to watch something really important. I'd love to see the Afghani release of it that's three minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> Those damn Americans. It's a comedy about a woman having a job. Right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, do you, uh, I don't know, do you rate your movies? I do like percentages. Percentages? Okay, so what's what? a percentage for you? Out of like 100%. Right. You know, like how Ron Tomatoes does it? I, I'd, I think 92% is generous. I would give it like an 83%. Right. It's still up there, but. Oddly specific. But <laughs> I had to really think about it. That's a B minus, so we can agree on. That. I had a lot of time during the movie to really think about this. <laughs> I, I've noticed that now I do that when I'm watching a movie and I'm not in the like into it. Mm-hmm. I just start like my rating starts going up and down, and I, that's what I'm thinking about. It's like you know, this is just like you have to a, think about it, right? You're, it went from a three star to two and a half. It could get back to three if this happens. And the <laughs> best is when you watch a movie and one singular thing happens that completely plummets your opinion of it. I, 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 I thought you were going to say the opposite, and you're like, "This is the best movie that's ever been made because of like one." That's awesome too. Yeah, yeah, that that also happens less often, but it happens. Yeah, that always comes back to Terminator Three. <laughs> the, end, the ending of that every time, I, like I'll watch the movie, like God, this is shit. And then the ending happens, like, this is the fucking greatest thing of time. <laughs> Your mileage may vary, like mine. <laughs> okay, well, um, that concludes... What episode is this? 47? Uh, why do you have to ask me the hard questions at the very end? Uh, I want to say it's 47. Okay, well, we'll just go with that. And if not, we'll fix it in post. I can tell you right now. <laughs> episode... 
47. 47. Okay, cool. Uh, that concludes episode 47. For the next episode, we will uh, visit Loser, starring Jason Biggs and Mina Savari, uh, with a special cameo appearance by Everclear. Doesn't date the movie at all whatsoever. <laughs> um, Kinsey, this is the portion of the podcast where we discuss things recently we've watched, seen, experienced, read, what have you. Uh, plugs. Um, I think I'm... I don't know if I have any this week. Or really? You you don't have any plugs since last plugs? week? Yeah, so we yeah, plug something that we've ideally is movie related, but it could be anything really that you think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I'll start with mine since you don't have one, and Kinsey's trying to figure out if she has one. Um, I watched this movie called Tricked, and so you know you know who Paul Verhoeven is. Does it sound familiar? Well, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with his work. He's uh, the guy that directed RoboCop, Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers, Basic Instinct. Okay. So. A director that has a career. He's uh, he's a still making movies. <laughs> yes, but but he's. I guess. I, I before I go on, I want to establish that he he's made a lot of movies. He's had a measure of success. He's not this rookie that's yeah, yeah. figuring out the business or anything, right? So, uh, there's this movie called Tricked, which is half documentary, half movie. Uh, he did he did I guess a couple years ago or so. Uh, he started this Kickstarter campaign for his next project. He went on. It was a big publicity thing. Uh, he had four pages, the first four pages of a screenplay written by a screenwriter. And he said, we're going to shoot these four pages. And then the rest of the screenplay is going to be crowdsourced. So what's going to happen is a bunch of people are going to just send me the next four pages and we're gonna sh- we're gonna pick the one that's best, or we're gonna make a mixed match of the best stuff. Oh, nice! And we're gonna shoot that, and then we're gonna post that online, and then we're gonna request the next four or five pages, and so on until we get to fifty minutes, and then then we'll have a movie, and it'll be an interesting experiment because I'll be I'll know how it all starts, but I will never know what happens next. That'll be determined by the audience, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so when you're watching Tricked, the first half hour of the movie is kind of the documentary of him telling you what's happening and you see a little bit of the shooting and all that stuff. And then the last hour of the movie is the actual movie that they shot and how it turned out. And so the movie that turned out is, it's okay. It's it's an okay movie. The best thing that you could say about it is that when you watch it, you can't tell that it was written by 200 people or whatever, you know, that it was crowdsourced. You'd think they'd be really patchy, but it doesn't really ever get there. Uh, and the the 30 minutes before that, the making of, uh, this movie is not a hardcore documentary that would show you when things go wrong or whatever. Uh, it's a lot. It feels a lot like a DVD extra where you're just hearing good things happening. Yeah. You know, everything has a good end, happy ending and everything. But as you watch it, you can tell that it was a huge clusterfuck, right? Because it's a terrible idea, if, yeah. if especially for somebody who's made movies before. Somehow, uh, Paul Verhoeven figure out or, or didn't know that this was the most inefficient way of making a movie because can you imagine he he shoots everything he gets the actor he shoots the four pages so he was like super serious about this oh yeah he was he was like i'm kind of bored so i want to do something different and i'm hoping that this will spark my filmmaking interest again oh, wow. and then it doesn't take long for him to realize holy shit like 700 people have sent scripts and i have to read through all of them and i have to and the problem is that I knew that there were going to be bad ones. I was hoping there would be some good ones. But there's also a lot of people that are just not even taking this seriously. So 
they don't care about the four pages that I just posted or the, the four pages that I shot. They just want to make their own movie. So in the first page of their new of the, of the four pages that they're sending, they just kill everybody and then the mob takes over. And, <laughs> and uh, but then once he's waited through that, you know, he's halfway through the movie technically, and because most of the population are not screenwriters and they're not attuned to how you tell story in film. They don't know that, oh, it's the halfway point. So I should probably start getting towards that, con- you know, gearing towards that conclusion. Yeah. And uh, uh, so he, he has like, all these times so where he talks to the camera. And he's like, I need to shape the movie because people are not getting the fact that we only have 20 pages left and, <laughs> and the ending has to come soon. And uh, so if you read between the lines, you can tell that obviously at some point he was like, fuck this. <laughs> if we're going to make so a can. movie, right. If we're going to make a movie that actually works, I'm going to have to abandon this experimental approach that I was taking to the filmmaking. And I'm going to have to just turn this into an actual movie that works. He doesn't say as much directly to the camera, but you can tell, especially because like I said, the end product that you get to see is very cohesive. It doesn't feel so like something that was did written. You not like it or- I liked it as a, I think it's a funny anecdote that somebody would do something like that. Right. Uh, it's, I mean, I'll watch Zero Dark Thirty before I watch that movie again. Oh wow, <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> uh, because it's not relevant at all. You know, Bin Laden doesn't get caught or killed in this movie. It's just, but it's it's kind of like a comedy about infidelity and stuff. Some guys experiment. Yeah, 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 and uh, but but I like the. I think it's hilarious that you watch this man that's in his 50s or 60s or older that's made a gazillion movies, you know, he's made a lot of movies and a lot of good movies, be so naive about filmmaking all of a sudden. Yeah. Be like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a terrible idea. I I haven't shot Robocop or uh, Starship Troopers or whatever, and I can tell you it's a bad idea because wow. how do you know, how do you anticipate what, what locations you're going to have or what uh, what actors you're going to need or what special effects or whatever, even if he puts some rules as far as the submissions, as far as like how far they could go. Uh, that's still like such an inefficient way of making a movie. Yeah. You know, the whole idea of having it, it really all is. planned out is so that you can shoot it all at once. And at some point he's like, yeah, you know, I'm used to shooting a movie in like 30 days or whatever. But I'm now sure the tone is super different throughout the movie. And I, I can't stand inconsistent tone if there's like different writers. Yeah. Th- well, that's what someone wants to complain. He's like, I don't think people are getting the tone of the first four pages. Well, yeah, because you're just they're not screenwriters. Mm-hmm. You're not crowdsourcing it to screenwriters. You're you're just crowdsourcing it to like the masses. the masses and the masses don't make movies. The masses watch movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's worth watching as just kind of a, this experiment and just to see how uh, it's just funny, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, I don't know. At the same time, I don't think it's a great movie or anything, <laughs> but it, I think if you happen to watch to find tricked, that's the name of the movie, okay, uh, the movie and the documentary, the whole thing together Where is called is tricked. Uh, I saw it in movie. By the time this episode posts, which will be the end of the month, it won't be in movie anymore. But I'm sure it can be found somewhere else on the mm. internet somewhere. Yeah, you can find anything on the internet. It's <laughs> true. Even Bin Laden. Now, apparently, I mean, back then they couldn't Google it, but now probably they could have Google mapped that 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 area. Oh mercy, Kenzie, do you have anything you've seen recently? You feel like expressing gratitude for? Um. Well, I'm a I have did I did watch one thing recently, but it's the first time I'm, I've watched it again in a while. So I'm like a really big Kevin Spacey fan, 
And I mean, if you if you know me, then you know I'm a huge Kevin Spacey fan. And I I just had this phase in my life where I just tried to watch every single movie he's ever made or like he's ever even cameoed in. And there's this one that I rewatched because I have a friend that doesn't really like movies. I, she's actually my roommate, and I tried to show her, hey, like give it a chance. Um, I'll give you a really easy like Kevin Spacey movie, early '90s, I believe it's like '93, '94. And I don't know if you heard of it. It's called Swimming with Sharks. I've no? seen the the poster. He's yelling at someone, right? Yeah. So it, it's a really interesting movie. Um, I'm surprised nobody had come up with it beforehand because it's not even that thick of a plot. It's pretty pretty simple. And what happens is it um, Kevin Spacey is a big produ- production manager, like for like a movie for a movie business, and he he's the big guy and everybody respects him and everybody's scared of him and he's just rude and he plays the mean Kevin Spacey character that he does so well, and um frank whaley do you know him he hasn't been in much but he he was super young in this and he plays a guy that gets he's the lucky one that gets an internship with kevin spacey like this big production manager and um benicio del toro is in it yeah and he he plays the former intern that frank whaley is replacing he's replacing him and he Kevin Spacey makes a joke. Yeah, he's going to Paramount. He doesn't want to stick around with us or something like that. It's a really low-budget movie. But so Kevin Spacey um, is just kind of an asshole the whole time. And you're just like, I feel so bad for this kid because he is just trying to make his dreams come true. And he's met this girl. And Kevin Spacey literally says in the movie, I hate when you're happy. Don't be happy or something (laughs) like that. And he throws stuff at him. And there's this scene. It's probably the only good impression i could probably ever do <laughs> is yeah um <laughs> frank whaley uh kevin spacey asked him um yeah can you get me some sweet and low for my coffee or like my tea and frank whaley said yeah and he, i'm gonna make it up to him i'm gonna make him i'm gonna show him i'm a really good intern so he goes and he he gets some packets and he brings it back and he hands it to me and kevin spacey goes what is this and he goes uh Sweet and low? And he goes, no, this is equal. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, well, I'm pretty sure they have the same thing. He goes, I don't care if it has fucking fairy dust in it. <laughs> he, he starts throwing a tantrum. So you tell, like, you can tell that Kevin Tweezy's like a terrible guy. But the twist of the movie is that Frank Whaley actually breaks into Kevin Spacey's house and tortures him. And he's like, this is what you get for putting me through me through all of this and making me lose everything that I've ever loved. And throughout the movie, you're trying to figure out, like, they do give away that he's torturing him. So it's like a flashback kind of thing. And um, he's torturing him. And you realize towards the end, Kevin Spacey is just a guy that has had a hard life. And you you get, like, a tragic backstory from Kevin Spacey. And it's just super intense. And, um, yeah, that's... I won't ruin the rest of it for you, but <laughs> I watched it again, and my roommate that didn't really like doesn't really like movies that much. I was like, "See, that was pretty easy to follow." Right? And she's like, "I think I like movies even less now that you showed me this." Uh, it sounds like a prequel to uh, Horrible Bosses. I promise you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Kevin Spacey has done so much great movies. Like he did Seven, and you know, Usual Suspects, like some iconic roles, American Beauty, mm-hmm. and he goes and he does. Nine lives, horrible bosses. <laughs> and I, it's, oh my gosh, it's wearing me out. I mean, Baby Driver made me feel a little bit better, but 
I I kind of want to see like, like I like horrible bosses. You like it's funny. I I'm just I just love Kevin Spacey. And plus, I've already seen Swimming with Sharks, so I know he can play a better boss than right a better horrible boss. A better horrible boss that gets tortured by Frank Whaley. A horribler boss. Horribler. Two. <laughs> well, that movie exists. There's a sequel to Horrible Bosses. Yeah, it has and like, he's in it. Really? Yeah, oh. I mean, he has a small part, but uh... oh, there's no way I'm watching that. <laughs> there's no way. All right, so that will conclude this episode of The Contrarians for all our usual suspects. Out of that background. Oh, uh, the festive years—they provide our opening and closing tracks. Always appreciate them. Uh, for any suggestions, comments, questions, concerns. Uh, you like Zero Dark Thirty? Feel free to let us know why. If you, if despite our efforts, you were offended by a joke that we made, because <laughs> trust us, we we had a good conversation about whether we should put a disclaimer or not, and we we decided not to. Uh, but yeah, if you're offended, I don't think you offended anyone too much. You'd be surprised, but you know, I don't know. Uh, if you want to like air your grievances, yeah. we <laughs> are the contrarians at gmail dot com. That's where you do that. Um, that's also where you can uh, uh, tell us how you thought Kinsey did as a guest. Absolutely. And you can tell us how much you were able, how many scarves you were able to knit during the duration of <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty. Assuming that you watched it. Instead, maybe I wouldn't blame anybody for just saying, hey, I'll just listen to the podcast. I'm sure I can skip it. I'm the- sure it's a beat for beat on, <laughs> on cue. I already know that she didn't win the Oscar, so why bother? There you go. Spoiler uh- alert. <laughs> Yeah, well, Jennifer Lawrence had to win that year, so. Boo. Silver linings. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> the silver lining of this story is. It's over. <laughs> Julio, anything else to add before we go? No, that's it. Festive years, email address. Uh, I think you got this cover. We have two episodes left on our uh, female filmmakers arc with a potential bonus episode before uh, we're, we wrap up. Before Turkey Day. Wow. Our Turkey Day will, will be a female filmmaker uh, episode day. All right. Well, with all that being said, I do want to thank you, Julio and Kenzie. Thank you for uh, doing a little guest spot ski here on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, it's been our pleasure, but that'll do it for us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Sitting in the car, I'll grab the keys. Let's go make this summer. One that's full of memories You won't regret it I know a place outside of town I think you'll really love it At night when no one is around We'll drive into the sunset Promise me you won't forget That summer of 1999 (laughs) Okay, so yeah, if I could do put a good spin on this It's yay Catherine Bigelow Because in 2010 you made sure that Avatar didn't win Best Picture. So for that, <laughs> I appreciate it. A big fuck you to her ex-husband. Oh, it was so perfect. <laughs> it was she great. Was sitting right in front of him. Quentin Tarantino sitting over by the side, like just watching all this happen. <laughs> Rubbing his hands. <laughs> James Cameron couldn't give a shit. He was just saying, ha, okay. You got me. It wasn't like fucking dickhead Toby Hooper when he won fucking. <laughs> no, Toby Hooper. I always say that. Tom Hooper. Now it's worse. Toby Hooper's dead. Oh, my God. R.I.P. We'll cut all this out anyway. <laughs> we're, we're beyond our means at this point.